I told my wife, I'm wasted. <laughs> and I'm a blubbering mess. Who? I really am a mess right now. Oh, man. I'm going to start in Psalm 2. But I just feel the presence of the Lord so strong tonight. I really do. But it's an absolute honor, absolute honor that our pastors would allow me to minister the word to just such a wonderful family. And we know our pastors are away and they're watching right now. But I would like just to bless them. So can everybody just, just raise your hands or put your hands out? Just, just release your faith right now to where they're at. I'm serious. Just release your faith. Release your love for Brian and Bren. Father, we thank you so much for our pastors. God, we thank you for godly pastors who love you and that it truly shows that they love you, Lord. So, Lord, right now, right where they're at, God, I pray that you would just put your hand upon them, God, that you would give them refreshing by the power of your spirit, God. We speak the shalom of God right now over Brian. We speak the shalom of God right now over Bren. We speak refreshing. We speak courage. We speak strength. And we speak the goodness of the Lord. In Jesus' name. <laughs> oh. Let's just pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. If you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, just go ahead and just pray in the Holy Ghost. Lord, we give you this meeting. Lord, we give you this meeting. Holy Spirit, direct the ways. Let the winds blow in this meeting, Lord. I submit my heart, my mind, my tongue to you, Lord. My words will be your words, Lord. I see ankles right now receiving strength. If you have popping in the ankles or weak ankles, just lift your faith right now and receive that healing right now. I see, I see like these four chords Two on the side, two going down the back of the neck that, that causes you to have like stiffness in your neck or you don't have really mobility. If, if that's you, just begin to put your faith, put your faith right now. I just speak healing in the ankles. I speak healing right now into your neck. And I say full mobility right now. I say full healing right now in Jesus' name. Whew. I want to talk about the inheritance of the Lord tonight. Are you in Psalm 2? I'm going to read it in the New King James. I'm going to read all 12 verses just for context. And then I'm going to go ahead and read uh, verses 7 and 12 in the passing translation. Because I think it just speaks just so wonderfully on where we're going. And just where the Lord is directing this meeting. and Where He's directing our faith. Where I believe He wants to direct our prayers what I believe he's building here in victory in each body and what he's building corporately as an altar unto him in this region. 
I want to talk about the inheritance of the Lord. Are you guys there? The word of the Lord says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break the bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Now, here's the passing translation in verses 7 through 12. He says, I will reveal the internal purposes of God, for he has decreed over me, you are my favored son. And as your father, I have crowned you as my king eternal. Today, I became your father. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations. I'm sorry, let me, let me say that again. Ask me to give you the nations, and I will do it. And they shall become your legacy. Your domain will stretch to the ends of the earth. And you will shepherd them with unlimited, unlimited authority. Gosh, I just love that. How the passion puts that. You will shepherd them with unlimited authority. Crushing their rebellion as an iron rod smashes jaws of clay. Listen to me, all you rebel kings. And all you upstart judges of the earth. Learn your lesson while there's still time. Serve and worship the awe-inspiring God. Recognize his greatness and bow before him, trembling with reverence in his presence. Fall down before him and kiss the sun before his anger is roused against you. Remember that his wrath can be quickly kindled, but many blessings are waiting for all who turn aside to hide themselves in him. I love how he says that, that he will shepherd the nations with unlimited authority. Right now, the earth is in turmoil. The nations are actually being divinely set in place in preparation for the coming of our soon king. No matter where you are on the eschatological chart, that's a handful in itself. No matter where you are on that, one thing is for certain, and that's the Lord is coming. No matter where you are at on that chart, no matter where you are at, if you believe that the Lord is coming or not, the Lord is coming. You might walk in here tonight and you might not even believe that Jesus is real, that he's truly the Messiah. But I want to tell you, time will tell and it will show that Jesus is coming back. 
My friend, I want to encourage you to actually, right now, realize and pay attention to what's happening around the world, not just America, not just in this nation. We have a self-centered attitude sometimes, us Americans. We think everything, prophecy revolves around America, but prophecy revolves around Israel. And how the nations are starting to rage against the Christ. And how the nations are aligning themselves. If you don't know Jesus, you're in for a rude awakening. If you're a mocker, if you're skeptical, I want to tell you time is really about to prove everything. I want to give some revelation tonight about the Lord's inheritance. I know it seems a little heavy at first, but we're going we're gonna to make our way. I got a lot of scripture to read, but I want to lay a foundation tonight. I want to talk about the Lord's inheritance and how he is going to receive his full reward for his suffering. Now, I can't articulate or revelate <clears throat> everything that the Lord's going to receive at his return or what was purchased at the cross. That would take multiple weeks. But what I want to do is I actually want to lay a foundation for you, for you to take to Father by the Spirit and allow him to start to cultivate that in you. Take this to prayer. Let, let this word sit in your heart. Let this word begin to develop your character and let it develop a Maranatha cry. Let the spirit of wisdom and revelation collide with the knowledge of the Lord and let it just start to stir the knowledge of the Lord in you. Let it equip you and let it just deposit the riches of his grace to your mind tonight. I also want to make room for the Lord. I want him to make room. I want to make room for the Lord tonight to have his way, to come and redeem his inheritance among his people. Because the Lord Jesus isn't just our Savior, our Master, he's also our great high priest. And the job of the great high priest was to tend to the sacrifice. When God lit the altar, on fire. It was the priest's job to keep the fire going. It was the high priest's job to officiate all the workings of the other priest on the sacrifice. When God sends the fire, Jesus officiates the fire of God. Jesus is going to officiate the fire of God tonight in your life. You're going to be brought into a deeper encounter with the Lord, deeper than what you've already had. The worship was absolutely... <laughs> The weight of glory was heavy. I'm so thankful to be, to be able to sit under worshipers that get it. There's a difference when worship goes vertical instead of horizontal. Hmm. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Be patient with me tonight. I am, I am literally, I'm wasted up here. <laughs> I'm going to be tongue-tied. I am going to be, yeah, it feels really nice. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, if you need a cup of this, you need to get your cup out. The Lord's given refreshing and joy. It, you know, it's supernatural to have joy with what's going on in the world right now. 
<laughs> I'm serious. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, Jesus, you're beautiful. <laughs> oh, glory to God. John writes out, he says, uh, and he's speaking by the Spirit, what Jesus wrote to him. He says, John's of the seven churches which are in Asia, grace and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming on the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. There is a significance in the transaction of the purchase that Jesus paid for, for his inheritance. His inheritance is the nations. His inheritance is the people in the nations. And my friend, Jesus is going to get his full reward for his suffering. These scriptures that I'm going to revelate or try at least to revelate on tonight is packed. It's packed with this profound truth, this foundational truth that Jesus bought it all, that everything belongs to him. And one day he is coming back for people who are ready. He is coming back to redeem the earth. Glory to the Lamb of God. He was sinless. He is sinless. He lived above, uh, above reproach. He was faithful to the very end. Gave his life. And the power of the resurrection rested on him. And raised him up for on the third day to prove that he truly is God. And that he is the Messiah. And he promises that he's coming back. And you can bet every penny on it that he's coming back. If the word of God says it, it's true. He made a public spectacle over death, over sin, and every spiritual darkness. He bought the nations and the people with his own blood. These scriptures talk about his inheritance. He says he is the ruler over the kings of the earth. And then he's made us kings and priests unto his God and washed us with his own blood. It speaks of inheritance. It speaks of his authority. It speaks of his wonderful love. It speaks of his power. He is the ruler over the kings of the earth. Right now, that joke in the White House might think he's doing things, but I'm going to tell you something. He's not. He's only plotting a vain thing against the God and against his Christ. Let me tell you something. Putin might think that he's advancing his forces in Ukraine, but those plans are vain because there is going to be a day when that eastern sky splits over Jerusalem and our king is victoriously going to return. I believe with all my heart that I'm going to live to see that day. And I'm so convinced of it. I'm radically infatuated with it. I am obsessed. But the thing is, is I have spent time with the Lord. And I've captured his heart. I've lost my life so I can pick up his. 
I've been told I'm out of your mind. You're out of your mind, Shane. Yeah, pray that I get worse. Pray that I get worse. I've lost my mind and picked the mind of Christ up. Come on, somebody. I don't want that carnal mind. The carnal mind is enmity against God, right? I want to be spiritually minded, which is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Because I'm spiritually minded, I can look at the landscape of the earth and have joy. And I can say, my king is coming. Because the nations belong to Jesus. Our inheritance is intertwined with his. I want you to really get this tonight. Our inheritance is intertwined with his. And we only find our fulfillment of our inheritance when he fully receives his reward for his suffering. They're intertwined. We've been yoked together. We've been invited in a holy engagement where his blood has cleansed us and restored us to walk with Abba in the cool of the day in the garden. Some of y'all got to get that. You got to realize why you were made, why you were created, why you're alive today on planet Earth. You were created for the Father. The meaning of life is to walk with God. There's no sweeter joy than to walk with God in the cool of the day. Every time the wind blows as I walk, even when I'm working, I'm just reminded of how beautiful the Holy Spirit is. I've learned a long time ago that I don't have to go away and get in my spiritual closet with a bunch of hundas and bow ties to get in the Spirit. I got the Spirit of God living within me, dwelling within me, abiding within me. You can get in the Spirit of God putting a receptacle in that wall. I've done it. That's God's design for your life. God's design for your life is to walk with Him, to know Him intimately, to know the wooings, His voice, His passions, His likes, His dislikes. His will for your life is you to be known by Him and for you to be known to Him. More than that, He's made us co-heirs to the divine nature, given us the Spirit of God as a guarantee. I want you to grab that. He's made us co-heirs of the divine nature. The same spirit that rested on Christ, that was in Christ performing miracles, is the same spirit that lives in you. The same spirit that split the skies and descended like a dove on Jesus when he was baptized is the same spirit that lives in you. The same spirit that split the skies in that upper room and baptized the 120 is the same spirit that lives in you. It's a wonderful design that Father had from the foundation of the world. When before he even knew Adam, his design was to create man and to put his spirit in him. When he formed Adam from the dust, what's the Bible say? It says he breathed in his nostrils and became a living soul. Yahweh. The breath of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 14. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, when he made, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Guys, I really hope that you're catching this. 
There's so much depth in what I just read. (laughs) He purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works in all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Check this out. Who is the guarantee? who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Who washed us in his own blood, who's made us kings and priests unto his God and his Father, who purchased us. The purchase from heaven carries the weight of eternity for your soul. He had to come and redeem it. He had to give his life, and he did it with pleasure. He did it with delight. The word redemption in verse 7 means a release by the payment of a ransom. It means deliverance. It means setting free. It describes the act of a conqueror releasing prisoners. (laughs) That means Jesus kicked the door into the devil's house and yanked you out of it. Come on, somebody. He says, I got the keys to the kingdom. All authority has been given to me, and now I give it to you. There's none greater than the Lord. There's none more holy than the Lord. There's none more beautiful than the name of Jesus. It describes the act of a conqueror releasing prisoners, a master ransoming a slave, and liberation from a foreigner's yoke. It's a total setting free. It's redeeming your life from the pit. It's redeeming you from hopelessness. Friend, you might walk in here with hopeless. You might be hopeless. And I want to tell you the only way that you're ever going to find true hope is if you find the Messiah. And friend, if you already know the Messiah and you walked in in here without hope, he wants to break that off your life tonight. He wants to give you joy. He told his disciples, I'm going to give you my joy. Oh, I'm going to give you my peace. Oh, I don't know about you, but I want his joy. (laughs) I'm thankful I got his joy. I'm thankful I got his peace. I'm thankful that I got the God of the ages on my side, that he delivered me out of a life of sin, that he's conquered death in the grave, and that he has resurrected. He's going to raise us up at that last day as well. That Sheol shall not have any dominion over the child of God. Verses 7 and 10 talks about the price of the purchase, talks about the transaction, and then it talks about the will to consummate the foreknowledge what the Lord received at the foundation of the world. He received his inheritance before he went to the cross. Because God sees the beginning to the end, and from the end to the beginning, and he's not bound by time. So when God foresaw it in the future, it already happened. I'm trying to tell you something. Before Satan fell out of the sky like lightning, before he made Adam sin, Christ conquered him. You need to grab that. 
No matter what you're going through in your life right now, hell might have thrown fastballs all week at you, but I want to tell you at the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God had conquered Satan and every demonic attack that he's brought against your life. You just need to come into the alignment of the inheritance of the Lord, the identity of the Lord, and realize the power of God that rests in you and release it on the enemy. Verses 13 and 14. In verse 13, Abba sets his seal on you at the day of redemption. Verse 14, our inheritance only finds fulfillment when the Lord Jesus receives the full reward of his suffering. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? That means the spirit of God will rest in the earth until Jesus comes back. Because Jesus commissioned Every believer to wage war against hell. You commissioned every believer to do it. You ain't got to be an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, or an evangelist standing behind a pulpit. He called you to wage war against hell in your workplace, in your family. Come on, somebody, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your nation. God had in mind of a mighty army raising up and waging war against hell. That's part of our inheritance. Part of our inheritance is having the victory over Satan, over sin, and over death. Part of our inheritance is is being in fellowship with the Creator. You guys with me tonight? Yeah. Ephesians chapter 1, seven, verses 17 through 23. And I really want to focus in on verses 18 and 19, but I want to read this in context just so you can grab it. And I would suggest you write this down and meditate on these scriptures this week. Really let the Lord develop what the inheritance of the Lord is concerning your life. Let this renew your mind. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 23. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It talks about his inheritance. It talks about his victory. It talks about his power. It talks about his authority. But it also talks about his inheritance. And what does it say his inheritance is? It's in the saints. Part of the Lord's inheritance is the people of God. Because that's what the word of God says. That's what we just read, right? Verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what the hope of his calling is. 
And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That word riches means abundance. So we can read it like this. The abundance of his glory of his inheritance, which are in the saints. The abundance of his glory. The abundance of his glory. God wants you to experience the abundance of his glory. God wants you to experience him in deeper levels every day. God doesn't serve stale bread, right? We've heard that. God wants you to experience him new, afresh, every day. He wants you to go deeper with him every day. Every day, he wants to bring you into a new realm of revelation. Every day, he wants to bring you into a new realm of wisdom. Every day, he wants to bring you into a new realm of understanding. It's his will for your life because it is his inheritance that he's gained you. It's his inheritance that he has gained you. And you have to remember that our inheritance is intertwined with his inheritance. So that means it's our inheritance that we've gained him. We've been invited into a holy engagement, a holy espousement. And Jesus will present you at the last day as a, as a sinless and spotless bride. The exceeding greatness of his power. I'm in verse 19. Towards us who believe, according to the mighty working of his power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. That word according to means in the same measure or the exact degree. The same measure or the exact degree. He's worked that mighty power in you towards those who believe. Friend, you need to realize the inheritance that lies within you. One of the things that bothers me so much is there can be so many churches on so many corners in so many neighborhoods, yet that neighborhood's going straight to hell. It's infested with drugs. It's got broken marriages. Why? Because the people of God sitting in those buildings do not realize that God has given them authority over their, over their sphere of influence. And they're not releasing the glory. They're not releasing the power of the gospel. I'm thankful that we, we're in a tribe that gets that. That we understand that we are a people in this, in this realm, in this sphere of influence. We have authority. We take our authority. That's why Jesus says, go into all the mountains. Disciple the nations. Disciple the mountains. Go into that education mountain and thunder the word of the Lord. Jesus has all power, all authority. And he's given that to us as his inheritance, as our inheritance. What Jesus received as his payment on the cross, he gave to his bride. He gave that to you. When you trusted and you placed your faith in him, when you surrendered your life to his ways, he gave that to you. There was a divine transaction into your spiritual bank account. On that day, you gave your life to the Lord. You have to realize that you are his inheritance. You guys okay? Is this clear? Jesus began to receive his inheritance of the nations when different people of the nations began to receive the knowledge of the Lord and filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. That's when we see it, that all nations began to come to him. When they all received the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was given in that upper room. The 120 went out. 
And there were all types of nations there. And the Bible says that 2,000 people got saved. We just read in Ephesians 1 that when you give your life to Christ, when you are redeemed, you are sealed with the spirit of promise. And I want to tell you something that I believe. I believe the first century apostles really understood. I believe they, they, when they led them to the Lord, I think they got filled right then and there. I don't think they had to bring them through a 10-step program. I think it was one of those things that you, got, you just gave your life to the Lord, now you're baptized, and boom, the Holy Ghost. I'm serious. Why are we waiting? Yet you get filled now. Because the day you give your life to the Lord, that's the day you become an enemy to Satan. And you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You need to be filled with heaven. You need to be filled with power to live in these wicked days and to be able to keep your joy. I don't think they waited. Our inheritance is not to get the glory that God deserves. That's not our inheritance. That belongs to God. But our inheritance is to abide in his glory and to release his glory that is expressed in us through the inheritance that the Lord bought and paid for with his blood. I'm going to say that again so you can catch it. I really want you to catch this. Our inheritance is not to get the glory that belongs to God, but to abide in his glory that is expressed in us through the inheritance that the Lord bought and paid for with his own blood. Because there is a responsibility that comes with the inheritance that is in the Lord. That responsibility is the disciple nations. It's to confront hell, to flip cities and regions, to flip whole nations upside down for Jesus. He has empowered us and commissioned the ecclesia to be the collectors of his inheritance. He didn't just leave us down here to have great revival meetings. And thank God for those. Thank God for what he's done. Thank God for his mighty acts and his wonders. We will remember the, run, the wonders of the Lord. And we say, do it again, Lord. Right? We say, do it again, Lord. Send your fire again. Send this nation on fire again for you, Lord. Awaken our people. Awaken your church, God. Return to your church in power and authority. But Jesus left the church in the earth to disciple nations. Not to build denominations. Not to build traditions of men. Not to have some big TV ministry. There's nothing wrong with those things, friend. There's nothing wrong with programs. There's nothing wrong with big ministries. There's nothing wrong with big buildings. I mean, what are you going to do when the people come? What do you do? Tell them to go home. You got to build bigger, right? But the focus has to be discipling nations. The focus has to be flipping the mountains for the Lord. It's tearing down the high places that the devil has set up by idolatry and arrogance and pride. It's tearing down the perversion strongholds in your city, in your nation, in your family, in your neighborhood. He didn't give you the spirit of God so you can run around like some spoiled spiritual child running endlessly in revival. He gave you the spirit of God to confront hell. Does hell know your name? Does hell know your name? Does hell tremble when you walk into a room? 
Glory to God for those who said yes. You know we got some saints in the house. But our inheritance is so much more than just some fireproof insurance. It's so much more, friend, than just coming up here and getting totally wrecked in the spirit. The Christian life is so much more than just going to church for three hours on a Saturday, friend. Being devoted to Christ means you're losing everything. You're giving up everything for the Lord. Anything that would become an idol, anything that would be first place from the Lord, you would give it up. You would let nothing come into place. That's what being a real believer is, friend. And I'm not trying to make anybody in here doubt their salvation. I'm not in that business. But we're entering in a time where there's going to be more shaking. And friend, your foundation better be in the cornerstone. Let me tell you something, friend. You better wake up and smell the popcorn. Things are getting real. Things are escalating quickly. But Jesus said, take joy because I've overcome the world. You need to know what your inheritance is because it sustains you through the trials and tribulations of life. So I think that's pretty clear that the inheritance of the Lord is us, right? Yeah. And our inheritance is him. And obviously there's byproduct uh, benefits in that, right? But the real inheritance of the Lord is the nation's. And he's coming to redeem the nations. He's coming to redeem the earth. Friend, there is a day when he steps out of heaven and comes back. Jesus says that I am coming back. He says, wait for me, look for me, anticipate my coming. That's what the first century believers lived in. They lived in that. I'm sure they didn't understand all the words of Jesus because I'm sure they looked through a glass dimly just like we do. But friend, they waited for Jesus. There's an account in the book of Acts that they would actually meet in the temple daily. They would go to church daily. And they would meet at Solomon's porch or I can't even, I'm not even going to butcher it, Potophilico or y'all know the thing. I'm so glad you're laughing because what I'm about to get into is pretty heavy. <laughs> Glory to God. But Solomon's porch was at the east gate. Solomon's porch was at the east gate. I know some of y'all just grabbed a hold of what I'm saying. The east gate is prophesied of where the Messiah would return to redeem the nations. See, in church culture, we have the return of the Lord so twisted, so deluded by church doctrine that we think Jesus just comes down and everything's good and boom, we're in heaven forever. But actually, when Jesus comes back, the wrath of God is poured out in the earth. The wrath of God is poured out in the earth when he makes his victorious return. The Bible says that he makes a procession from the north, comes down, and then comes through Edom. Adam, uh, Isaiah 63, 1 through 4, talks about his robes being dipped in blood, making his procession 
to read them. And as he comes up, he goes through the east gate. And as he steps foot on the mountain of olives, the earth splits. Friend, if the earth splits, there's people that are caught up in that. I believe as the fig tree begins to produce its leaves, that the stage is being set and the Lord is returning to his church in power and authority. I want you to grab this. Because I want to tell you, the reason why the religious people of Jesus' time missed that the Messiah was in, his, in their midst is they thought he was coming on the white horse then. That he was going to overthrow the Roman government then. But Jesus came back to redeem the spiritual first to get the nations ready for his real return. When he does come back on a white horse, and when he does execute the wrath of God, he doesn't just execute the wrath of God on just everyday people. He executes the wrath of God on sin, on wickedness, on the Antichrist, on demons, and people who have aligned themselves with that. The wrath of God is a perfect, perfect expression of God's love. I know some of you guys are like, how in the world are we talking about the inheritance of the Lord? And he just totally flipped on the, on the wrath of God. It's part of his inheritance. Because it's, the wrath of God is how he redeems the nations to himself. The wrath of God is the perfect expression of God's love because it doesn't tolerate sin or wickedness. It's the final judgment on Satan and the havoc he's caused on God's creation. As the bride grows, so does the Maranatha cry. The groan from the earth that rises to heaven, crying out for the revealing of the Son of Man. As an electrician, I'm in people's houses, different people's houses all the time. And believe it or not, in Sarasota, I go into a lot of believers' houses. And I want to tell you, the majority of the conversation that we have is, man, I just can't wait till Jesus comes back. Some of my seasoned seasoned believers in here. I'm sure you guys have heard that your entire lives. But I never want to grow numb to that, ever. Even if the Lord tarries his coming for who knows how long, I never want to grow numb to the coming and the revealing of the Messiah. I never want to grow numb to that. But I want to tell you, I've never heard the groan that I've heard in the past year for the revealing of the Son of Man. I've never heard it like this. I've never heard it in songs. And we're singing it in songs now. It has become the church's, the bride's tune. It's become her music. It's become her, her, her ringtone. It's become her cry for the revealing of the Son of Man to come, Lord Jesus, Redeem your inheritance in the earth. Isaiah prophesied about this in his intercession. Isaiah cries out in Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 4. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. 
There's going to be a moment in time when the Lord steps out of heaven and every eye will be on the Son of Man. Even those who pierced him. It's what the Bible says. It's what the word of the Lord says. Every eye. That means all of earth, its attention will be on the beautiful, wonderful, victorious lion of the tribe of Judah roaring as he comes and makes his victorious return. Every eye will see it. And it'll be just like it was supposed to be created. That every eyes, all our eyes and all our gaze is on the one. Is on the one. And he's going to return to his church. And the church is going to have the same thing. All our eyes are going to be on the one. The beautiful one. There's going to be many Marys in that moment who fall at the feet and just break open the alabaster box and worship out of feet. It's going to take the presence of God to a whole nother level. Because it's the attention. It's the heart cry. It's the lovesick cry coming from the bride for her king. It's a relationship. And it comes from relational. I don't even know if that makes sense, but I'm going to go with it. It comes relational. <laughs> oh, Lord, you're so good. Isaiah's cry is for the fire and power of God to be on display in the earth with earth-shaken authority. He said, come down that the heavens might shake, that the earth would tremble. I believe he's also prophetically speaking about the mountains of society. I think that can be applied. But if you go through Isaiah 59, following all the way through, he talks about the judgment and the fire of God. Isaiah was in intercession, was in intercession and he was begging for the revealing of the prophesied Messiah and for him to come and get his full reward. The Jewish people are still looking for their Messiah because their eyes have been blinded that it was Jesus. It was Yeshua. But there's going to be a moment when their veil has been lifted and you're going to see all of Israel crying out for the Jewish Messiah. Cool. He will receive his full reward. His full reward is the nations. It's the end of wickedness and sin. There is coming a day of a fiery judgment on the nations who reject heaven's rule and heaven's Messiah and who persecute God's people. We see the full picture in our New Testament lens through the revelation that John received from the Lord. But I want the weight of, this, of the responsibility of our inheritance to grip your hearts. We have been trusted with an uncorruptible, undefiled inheritance from the Lord. And when we grasp this concept, when we grasp the weight of eternity, of how things play out prophetically, friend, it's going to set your heart on fire with the love of God. Last night when I was preparing this message, I mean, the fear of the Lord gripped my heart in a way that I've, I've never had. The past three weeks, I have been gripped for the nations. I've been gripped for Ukraine. I've been interceding for America because, friend, I'm going to tell you something. What's happening over Ukraine is not so far-fetched to happen here. <laughs> friend, I, I really want you to, to, to be wise and be humble. It's not so far-fetched here. Say, said, well, that would never happen. You better look at our southern border right now. 
because they're just pouring over. Isaiah 61 verse 2 talks about the day of vengeance for our God. We oftentimes quote Isaiah 61 about the spirit of the Lord being on us, right? He's given me the good news to preach to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, right? To give us joyful mourning, beauty for ashes, right? Verse 2, he talks about the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20, talks about two harvests at the end of the age. Verse 14 says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on that cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having his head, ha- having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Who comes on the cloud looking like the Son of Man? Prophesied by Daniel. That's why Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. That's why he was persecuted by the religious Jews of his time because he was appointing the title of the Messiah to himself. He was telling them, I am the Son of Man. So we see here in Revelation that it says, one sat on the cloud like the Son of Man, reaping the earth. That's a picture of the Lord coming back for his church. And no matter where you're at on the chart, we can all believe that he's coming back for his church prior to the wrath of God. And another angel came out of the altar who had power of a fire and cried with a loud cry to him who sat, with a loud cry to him who had a sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth, and the earth, the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and the blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridle for 1,600 furlongs. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written on it that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Friend, I believe that's us. I believe when he comes, we come with him, and he pours out the wrath. We're right there shouting, yeah, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Redeem your inheritance. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the Lord redeeming his inheritance. That is in the saints. The saints are involved with him redeeming the earth, redeeming the nations. He uses us to be the collectors of his inheritance. He sends us to go collect what he's paid for. 
I want to be crystal clear. The bride of Christ, the individual believer, the one who Jesus purchased with his own blood, I do not believe experiences the wrath of God. That's an amen part, guys. Some of y'all like, dang, I was, you know, burned up with fire and him coming down, dipping his robes in blood. It sounds like I'm going to... Come on, we don't have the wrath of God abiding on us, believer. Beloved of God, I want you to understand that. We're not appointed a wrath, but into eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's created you for not for wrath, but for righteousness. There we go. I love it. You guys awake? Glory to God. Our King is coming. And he will have his full reward. But before the great day of wrath, let's switch it up on some happy stuff. There is a day where God rends the heavens just like he did on the Lord, like I said, when he was baptized and the spirit descended. On the day of Pentecost when the church was born. When he is going to rend the heavens and come down. And the Bible says he is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. That is really going to mess up some church doctrine for some folks that I know. Glory to God. We say, Lord, do it in here. Pour out your spirit in here, Lord. Pour it out in here, God. We want to see your glory, King Jesus. He is the great shepherd of the nations, and the nations are his. And every tribe, every tongue, every people from all nations will bow down before the King of kings and Lord of lords and call him master, call him savior, call him Lord. They will know him as God. Psalm 22, verses 27 and 28 says, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. That's revival. All the nations, all the ends of the world shall remember, turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12 says, After these things I saw, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation! Belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. The nations will be Jesus. Revelation 2, verses 25 through 29 says, Hold fast to what you have until I come. Friend, you're going to have to learn perseverance in these days. 
You're going to have to learn what it means to really push back, push through. Friend, you're going to have to learn how to push back and push through that veil of your flesh and into the spirit. You're going to have to learn how to push through trials and trials. And each time something gets shaken and gas prices are going up 20 cents overnight. You're going to have to learn how to push back and push through. You're going to have to learn to persevere. You're going to have to learn to rely on the grace and the, and the power of the Lord in your life, which is your inheritance. He says, hold fast to what you have until I come. And he, over, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as I have also received from my Father. There we go. We're making the full turn. What the Lord received, the Lord gave to his bride. Our inheritance is intertwined with his inheritance, and we find the fulfillment of our inheritance when he receives his full reward for his suffering. He says, I will give him the morning star. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus reminds John here about Psalm 2. And this is a twofold witness, remembering our inheritance is intertwined with his. I wasn't going to read it, but I think since Cody read it earlier, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Revelation 21, chapter 20, uh, verses 22 says, But I saw no temple in it. It's talking about the new Jerusalem coming down. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, because the Lamb is its light. Friend, I want to tell you, I think Jesus is going to give us a sneak peek of this when he returns to his church with glory and power. There will be no need for light, because Jesus, the Lamb of God, will be its light. Come on, somebody. And the glory of God will illuminate the church to this lost and foul and wicked world around us. And there will be a great standard risen up against the wickedness. Glory to God. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be no mean, there shall be, there shall by no means, excuse me, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's go to uh, chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. This is your reward. This is your inheritance. There shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and the servants shall serve him. Guys, this, is, this, this next verse, I'm telling you, is my heart's cry. It says, they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. They shall need no lamp 
or light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Oh. What that does when I read that, I know that's something that I'm going to see when I give my life here. But friend, this should motivate you to advance and occupy the gospel. I want to tell you something. You have, you have the cure for a cancer that plagues this earth. You have the cure. You have the cure. And I want to tell you how wicked it is for you to keep that cure in your pocket when you know someone is dying of that disease. I'm going to close with this. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. It says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Friends, our Lord is coming back. I don't know the day nor the hour. To be honest with you, I don't even know the timing. I'm just waiting for the Lord. I'm not getting caught up in silly arguments. I just want to be here and I want to worship the Lord. I just want to be caught up in the gaze of, and the wonder of God. I want to be so entrenched in His glory and His majesty that it, it just changes me. That it, it literally changes me from the inside out. I, I have a holy infatuation with the Lord. And I'm not just saying that to seem more spiritual or whatever, because honestly, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I'm just being honest. I just want to be real. I just want to be real. But listen, that's, that's God's will. That's God's will because he's wholly infatuated with you. That heaven went bankrupt to redeem your life from the devil. God emptied himself. God stepped out of a perfect realm of heaven. At any time, the Lord could have just sent some judgment, totally erased the history of mankind, started over, got rid of Satan, but instead, because of his patience, his forbearance, and he's going to prove his demonstration against Satan. He chose to redeem his prized possession with heaven's prized possession. It says Jesus emptied himself, became a man, humbled himself as a servant. Emptied himself out on the cross. I love reading the Gospels. It said when Jesus made his way, bearing the march, bearing the cross, after getting beat by a bloody pulp. It says when he got to Golgotha, when they were about to put him up on the cross, when they drove those nails through his wrists and through his legs and hung him up, they gave him an option. The Bible says that they put a sponge on a reed that was mixed with alcohol and a painkiller. And the Lord said, no. He turned it down. Because he wanted to experience the full weight of the pain and suffering that it would take to redeem your life, friend. He held nothing back. He gave it all for you. Every drop of blood, every tear, every feeling of anxiety and abandonment 
and having the weight of the world's sin placed on him. And the fact that his father had to turn his back on him. Not because the father couldn't watch it, but because sin was placed on him and the father can't look at sin. He did that for you, friend. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son shall see life, but he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I said the, the wrath of God would not abide on the believer, and I believe that. But those who are away from God, who don't know God, who has made their allegiance with Satan and demons, the wrath of God will surely consume them. You better bet your last penny on it. Why? Because Scripture says it will happen. And friend, if you're in here today and you don't know the Lord, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today could be your day of redemption. Where the, where the prisoner is set free. When the conqueror walks into your prison, breaks the chains off your neck, and sets you free, fills you with hope, fills you with love, friend. Today is the day of salvation. You don't have to leave this place with no hope. You don't have to leave this place feeling abandoned. You don't have to leave this place as an orphan. You can meet Jesus today. And he will enrapture you with his perfect love. That will set your heart on fire and set you free. With every head bowed, please. If you walked in this room and you don't know the Lord, today is your day. Friend, you might not have tomorrow. You might not have tomorrow. You might not have five minutes from now. And I'm not saying that to scare you, to get you to just come and repeat some religious enchantment. Friend, I'm being honest with you. No man knows the day nor the hour. No man knows when he's going to give the account for his soul. Friend, if you walked in this room and you don't know the Lord, get it right. Get it right. Get it right. If that's you and you don't know the Lord and you feel the Spirit of God wooing you, tugging you into the kingdom, I want to invite you into a holy engagement with the Lord. If that's you and you want to give your life to the Lord tonight, I want you to raise your hand. If that's you, don't wait. Don't let fear stop you. Don't let your peers, the person sitting next to you, friend, examine your heart and really see if, you, if you're away from God, it's time to get it right. If you've never given your life to the Lord, tonight's the night to get it right. If you're away from God, you need to get it right. One last call. If you've never given your life to Christ, and friend, I know you're in here. The Lord is beckoning you. 
If that's you, I want to pray with you. I want to lead you to the person that knew your name before the foundation of the world. If that's you, be bold. Stick up your hand. to meet your need tonight. If you would stand. I feel like the Lord wants to do something in your life tonight. And I've been really contemplating on what happens in this moment. And I feel like I got fresh direction. If I can get the prayer team ready, sweetheart, if I can get a mint, I'm sure I've been, I'm sure my breath stank right now. Thank you. <laughs> she says, take a couple. <laughs> the Lord wants to come and redeem your inheritance tonight, to redeem his inheritance in you tonight. If you need a touch from the Lord, prayer team, you can come now. If you need a touch from the Lord, then I want you to come and find somebody and pray with whatever need it is, whether it's healing, whether it's deliverance. If you need Jesus to come into your prison and break the walls down, listen, tonight is your night. This altar is an altar of glory. Jesus, the great high priest, I'm telling you now, is at this altar, and he's ready to facilitate the sacrifice. The sacrifice is you. Let the fire of God fall on you and burn off that which is ungodly, that which is e so easily entangle you. That's what kept you back. Tonight's a night of breakthrough, friend. I want you to put your hands out. I'm going to pray. And after this prayer, I want you to come. I want you to come. Listen, I want everybody to look at me. There is absolutely, positively, no reason you have to walk out those doors tonight bound by anything. The Lord of glory is in this house. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that the word of the Lord is true. And, God, I just ask right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to turn this altar into your fire pit. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that the inheritance of the Lord would be redeemed. And I bless you, victory, right now. I bless your mind. I bless your spirit. I bless your week in the name of Jesus. And I just declare over you a deeper encounter with the Lord I declare over you the goodness of God, the favor of God, and the hand of the Lord to be on your life tonight. In Jesus' name.